On June 30th, 1908, an astronomer working in Ireland wrote down an unusual observation. The astronomer recorded that there was, quote, a nocturnal glow that night, that it was bright enough to read a newspaper by. Except on that night, there was hardly any moon. It was a waxing crescent, just barely visible. The nocturnal glow that the astronomer was seeing was the effect of an incident that occurred half a world away. More than 3,000 miles away in northern Siberia, 80 million trees had been flattened to the ground, and they laid out in a circular radius pattern. At the very center of the radius, the trees still stood straight up. They were burnt to a crisp, their bark stripped away. It was like a forest of telephone poles. After this incident, the landscape of that place would never be the same. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. And today, we head to a very remote region of Russia, the epicenter of what would become known as the Tunguska event, an event that may seem unfathomable, except we have first-hand accounts from people who witnessed it. More after this. When was the last time I took a road trip? How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey, Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. On that day, back in 1908, at 7.17 a.m. in northern Siberia, there was a great flash and a huge boom. Tremors shook the ground, windows shattered, and flattened trees left a clearing larger than the area of London. The force was 185 times as strong as the Hiroshima bomb. Curiously, there was no crater, no sight of impact. It was as if all of the devastation had come out of thin air. Over time, various harebrained theories would begin to make the rounds about what caused this. A UFO crash, a black hole passing through the Earth, one of Nikola Tesla's experiments gone terribly wrong. A century later, the debate isn't totally at rest. The precise cause of the event remains unknown. 
But most scientists would eventually coalesce around one main theory. A big old object got uncomfortably close to Earth. Now, there's some real debate over whether this was a meteorite or a comet or an asteroid. Honestly, the point is it was a really, really big space rock, as in 220 million pounds. And most of the scientists agree that it exploded above the Earth. There's no impact crater, and in the soil, researchers found microscopic pieces of glass that contained elements found in high concentrations of meteorites. By some estimates, the space rock was traveling over 30,000 miles an hour, heating the air around it to nearly 45,000 degrees Fahrenheit, before exploding into multiple balls of fire and getting consumed in the explosion. The event was named for a nearby river, Tunguska. Scientists wouldn't visit the Tunguska site until over a decade after the incident. The site is quite remote, and World War I and the Russian Revolution were pretty significant obstacles. It wouldn't be until 13 years after the event that a researcher named Leonid Kulik attempted to make the journey. But the conditions were so rough, he ended up turning around. Six years later, almost 20 years after the event, Kulik tried again. And this time, he made it. When he arrived, the area still had these unmistakable signs of destruction. Many trees had remained on the ground, pointing away from the center of the blast. When Kulik reached the epicenter itself, the telephone pole burnt trees were still standing there. They were caused by a fast-moving shockwave that snapped off the branches before there was time for them to transfer the impact to the tree's trunk. Nearly two decades later, the same kind of barren trees would be found at the bomb site in Hiroshima. But Kulik wanted more than just observations and poking around in the woods. He wanted to talk to people, people who had lived through the event, who had been close enough to witness it firsthand. So he began to ask around. At first, locals were hesitant. Some believed that the blast was a visitation from an angry god, a god who had come to punish them by destroying their land. But eventually, they shared what they had seen. A nearby villager recalled the start of that day back in 1908. The weather that day was clear. The air for breathing was heavy. A police sergeant wrote that he felt nauseous that morning, a symptom he'd experienced a couple years prior, right before an earthquake hit. Suddenly I felt uncomfortable and took a seat on the bench. And at that moment, there was such a thunderbolt that the windows were rattling in the house, then a second and third. Some of the villagers were so overwhelmed by the blows, they sent a messenger to the local priest to inquire if the apocalypse had begun. The sky split in two, and fire appeared high and wide over the forest. The split in the sky grew larger, and the entire northern side was covered with fire. At that moment, I became so hot that I couldn't bear it, as if my shirt was on fire. When the sky opened up, hot wind raced between the houses, like from cannons, which left traces on the ground like pathways. Miraculously, because of the incredibly low population density, there were very few human casualties from the Tunguska event. Animals were not so lucky. A local indigenous man told Kulik that his relative used to pasture his reindeer in the area where the blast hit. 
After the blast, they went outside to look for the animals. Kulik wrote, Of some reindeer, they found the charred carcasses. The others they did not find at all. Of the sheds, nothing remained. Everything was burned up and melted to pieces. Some scientists believe that if you stood outside for 24 hours and the sky were magically pitch black for that entire period of time, you would be able to see 25 million shooting stars, all without a telescope. Every night, millions of shooting stars fly across the sky. Pieces of rock and ice hurling across space and skimming our atmosphere. And sometimes, knowing that this is all going on above my head, I do get a little nervous. We know these objects can and do hit us. Sometimes, they can be very big indeed. So how long before a Tunguska-sized rock comes hurtling down again? Honestly, it might not be much longer. There's a branch of NASA that's plotting the orbits of present-day comets and asteroids that will cross Earth's path. And they estimate that on average, a Tunguska-sized rock will enter Earth's atmosphere about once every 300 years, which means we got about 200 years, but that's on average, so, you know, maybe tomorrow. In 1490, Chinese astronomers recorded that 10,000 people were killed by stones falling from the sky. These mysterious stones ranged in size from chestnuts to goose eggs. And according to one ancient account, the stones, which researchers now believe were part of a meteor shower, fell like rain. In 2013, a small space rock broke up above Russia. People captured it on their cell phones and their dashboard cameras. This blindingly bright trail seen streaking across the sky. We live in a busy solar system. Something big will hit us again sooner or later. Here is to hoping we're ready for it. This episode was produced by Johanna Mayer. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire, Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. Special thanks to Mike Najar, Nick Ricardo, and Manolo Morales for reading the firsthand accounts from people who witnessed the Tunguska event themselves. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time.